Lecture 5, Part 3 of The Endowments of Man by William Bernard Ullathorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Lecture 5, Self and Conscience, Part 3 That we may better understand the power of conscience, and what man would be without its light and guidance, let us suppose it withdrawn from the human breast and extinguished in the race of man god shall no longer assert his justice in the soul or inspire her with the fear of his judgments man is left to his unbounded self-seeking his pride and his sensual appetites have no curb no restraint any longer his imagination is let loose without fear or restraint upon his natural propensities and passions there is nothing any longer left to withhold him but opinion and human law there is nothing to curb him within but when conscience is lost what becomes of human law where are its principles to be found where are its rights and where its sanctions what ground again is left on which to build a public opinion when the conscience of right and wrong has taken leave of the soul of man where can it be found in the social life of man where again must we look for the common sense of what is or what is not becoming what is the foundation of public opinion since that also takes its rise from the human conscience even the unjust laws and unrighteous judgments of men affect to appeal to the common conscience and to find their sanction in the light of conscience but we are supposing a race of men in whom the light of conscience has expired and who are abandoned to themselves without any interior illumination from the eternal law of god what will there be left of the constitution of man we shall not even find that fictitious man who has been portrayed by origen and saint chrysostom even the wicked man who wears the garb of reason like a stage costume will not be left even the man who puts on god's image like a mask to deceive his neighbours will be no longer found there will be no more of those painted men put forth as real men for when conscience is gone from mankind hypocrisy must die out there is no ground left to man on which to raise a moral pretension there is not a single form of law or decency remaining out of which to make a cloak to cover evil deeds let us even grant the external coercion of human laws however impossible in the conditions of the case yet the interior bond of conscience is dissolved the voice of god is no longer heard within the man the stay that upholds rather than binds the will is gone the moral tie that holds man to god has slipped away nothing is left to hold man to rule but the force of that external legislation which prohibits the violation of its laws in open day leaving free license to secrecy and the night the eye of human law searches nothing but public wrong 
it cannot penetrate into the breast of veiled iniquity nor reach the deeds that are committed in secret iniquity has only to invent certain habits and costumes to cover its deformity and to go about in by-paths instead of breaking out in the open face of the world what can human law deal with beyond certain outbursts against human rights and social order it cannot visit those hidden springs in the man from which all evil issues in to-day it cannot deal with the sources of corruption it knows nothing of sin but only of certain open acts of injustice the cognizance of sin is the mighty work of the ever wakeful conscience which is seated in power close by the spring of the human will enlightening guiding arguing entreating rebuking encouraging rewarding the good and punishing the evil deed but were the conscience removed from its office and its light withdrawn the cupidities the lusts the self-seeking propensities of men would be like a world of prisoners let loose in the dark each running against the other each overthrowing the other each in pursuit of his own license and liberty the whole multitude contending against each other where all are seeking one and the same thing thus whilst each other sets his will and pleasure upon his own game and is bent on satisfying his own pride indulging his own cupidities and satisfying his own lusts what rivalries what jealousies what contentions what shocks of destructive conflict would there be in the world bestrewing the earth with the savage remnants of human nature reduced to the condition of the fool who said in his heart there is no god it would be incredible if it were not a great public fact that this age has produced a philosophy and a widely diffused sect whose ambition it is to reduce the world of man to the condition above described this impious sect has invented the theory that it is not the will but the conscience of man which leads him to error and brings him to misery conscience say these enemies of god and man is that which troubles resists and contradicts the free instincts of man restrains his action afflicts him and makes him unhappy there are two useful confessions let out in the proclaiming of these propositions the first admits that the man who separates himself from god is afflicted and unhappy the second confesses that he is afflicted and unhappy through the tremendous power of conscience when neglected the conscience may slumber but when directly opposed by the will it rises with terrible force to assert its authority we hear a cry from another school of atheistic sophistry a cry of distress and in that cry the confession that life to them is nothing but bitterness and misery for which the conscience is chiefly responsible 
and so the adepts of these sects propose to root up the conscience that god has planted in man and to substitute another conscience of human manufacture with some kind of civil state for its authority philosophy or the democratic state or the two combined that is to say the opinion of the multitude combined with the authority of the multitude is to form a new conscience for mankind after the old one has been expelled a conscience which shall represent god no longer but man alone not the individual man but the socialist atheistical man self and conscience are to be one and the same the unenlightened instincts of the inferior man are to become the law of the whole man the delirium of human pride can go no further conscience is not from us but from god he holds it in his power not we in ours when god implants a conscience in his intelligent creature he implants it in the very essence of the spirit and knits it into all the powers of the soul so that to destroy the conscience would be to destroy the immortal soul herself if it were possible to pluck out the conscience and to break off the dependence of our spiritual being from god a destruction like this would be the annihilation of reason intelligence law order the sense of good and evil and whatever distinguishes man from the beast chaos is empty dark and void until it receives light form and order from the spirit of god the soul would be as empty dark and void if it had not received a spiritual light a law and a rule of order from the same eternal source happily as man has not the power to destroy his soul he has not the power to extinguish his conscience as the expression of god's rights over man and as the lofty guide of man to his greater good conscience is in the keeping of god and is safe from the destructive power of man the purest as well as the highest energy of the human soul is charity the principle of whose action god alone can give there are loves which are follies and they may be more truly called by grosser names the love of god is the only power that can purify and regulate the lower affections and give to them that dignity of duty and that innocence from harm which make them safe and peaceful god is the first object and the supreme object of the living thinking and loving soul tell a man to think on nothing but himself and you insult his reason tell him to love nothing but himself and you insult his conscience tell him to live for nothing but himself and you insult his heart and all that is manly and generous in his nature man is not made for himself his conscience knows it his heart feels it his mind acknowledges it even when his conduct contradicts it 
if he has the least degree of humility his soul is grateful that god has made him for what is infinitely greater than himself whatever it costs his nature to reach his good st paul's great argument on the power of the law of moses to awaken the knowledge of sin is equally applicable to the law of nature in the conscience and still more to the law of christ for every law of conscience is a light that gives us four revelations first it reveals to us the sanctity of god secondly it makes known what sanctity god demands of us thirdly it shows us our sinfulness in our shortcoming of the law or our direct violation of its precepts fourthly it reveals to us our native weakness and the need we have of his help and grace both to fulfill his law and to reach our eternal beatitude these four great offices are committed by god to every law that is revealed in our conscience listen to the anatomizing words of st paul mark how they exhibit the darkness of self without conscience how they display the action of the light of god within the conscience how conscience reveals us to ourself and how self and conscience stand contrasted with each other is the law sin god forbid but i did not know sin but by the law for i had not known concupiscence if the law had not said thou shalt not covet here pause the i or ego of man is himself he follows his concupiscence but he does not know its destructive character he does not know that it is opposite to the sanctity of god and to his own sanctity and how destructive it is of his good until the light of the law of god in his conscience reveals to him the evil of concupiscence and forbids him to follow its impulsions let us now follow the text but sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence for without the law sin was dead and i lived some time without the law but when the commandment came sin revived and i died and the commandment that was ordained to life the same was found death to me here pause again in this most awful because most truthful exposition of the natural inward man we find the ego the i the man's subjective will or self taken hold of by sin and working all manner of evil desire for the very reason that it is forbidden him by the law revealed in his conscience before he knows the law sin is dead because he knows not the will of god and sin consists in disobedience to the will of god the evil is there but it is a blind evil not knowing the will of him that made us it is evil but it is not actual sin 
but when the commandment which ordains to life becomes revealed to the will through the conscience self-love is provoked pride resists concupiscence is stimulated by the prohibition that would bind its license to oppose and disobey the law of god and that law whose blessed office it is to enlighten the way of life becomes through our disobedience the cause of death st paul continues therefore the law indeed is holy just and good was that then which is good made death to me god forbid but sin that it may appear sin by that which is good wrought death in me that sin by the commandment might become sinful beyond measure for we know that the law is spiritual but i am carnal sold unto sin the law is holy just and good and when we compare ourselves with its light we discover the evil within us but it also commands our obedience and when we disobey we sin against the light as well as against the command of our creator and thus by the commandment sin becomes sinful beyond measure for the carnal man is weak and prone to carnal things whilst the law is spiritual and invites to spiritual things but when this carnal man refuses himself to the law and delivers himself to sinful inclinations like one sold unto slavery he is delivered to a tyrannical master the apostle is far from asserting that our nature is evil for it is the creature of god this was the heresy of the so-called reformers what he asserted is that the will is too weak of itself without the grace of god to rise above the natural tendencies of our fallen nature and to keep the commandments of god for that which i work he goes on to say i understand not for i do not that good which i will but the evil which i hate that i do if then i do that which i will not i consent to the law that it is good i find then a law that when i have a will to do good evil is present with me for i am delighted with the law of god according to the inward man but i see another law in my members fighting against the law of my mind and captivating me in the law of sin that is in my members the obscurity of this passage disappears when we understand that this second introduction of the word law is used ironically the law in the members fighting against the law of the mind and which saint paul elsewhere calls the law of sin is not a law in reality but an habitual inclination of the man which he obeys as though it were a law and which he opposes to the law of god the first office therefore which is performed by the law of god is to humble us in the truth and to show us how far we are from justice and from god and this fills us with fear and humiliation 
St. Augustine gives us this searching comment on the text, How can we doubt but that the law was given that man might find himself? So long as God does not prohibit evil, man is hidden from himself. But when he receives the prohibiting law, he finds out his weakness. And when he discovers himself, he finds that he is doing evil whither shall he fly go where he will he has himself still with him of what use is it then to try to escape that self-knowledge which is inflicted by his conscience what then is the remedy st paul hastens to point it out that the remedy is not in ourself is most certain and obvious from all that has been said and from all that we know of ourselves. But the light of faith reveals both our own weakness and the remedy for that weakness, and St. Paul points to both in his conclusion. Unhappy man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The grace of God, by Jesus Christ our Lord as in another place the apostle teaches that the whole work of faith and obedience to god is wrought out by the strength of grace i can do nothing of myself but i can do all things in him that strengthens me in further exposition we may quote two pithy sentences from saint isidore the creature he says knows himself better in god than in himself the knowledge that he gets of himself from god is light and open day but the knowledge that he gets of himself from himself is comparative darkness and may be called the evening twilight but when he discovers that what knowledge he gets of himself from himself is unsatisfactory and goes to God for better knowledge, he obtains that better knowledge as in the day. Again, the holy doctor says, the first gifts of God show us our culpability. Whilst we were under culpability, we thought ourselves just. But the divine physician came to us, exposed our wounds, and composed himself into a medicine by his death with which to heal the wounds he had revealed. Since we are not an object to ourself, since the fundamental appetite of our soul is not towards ourself, but towards universal good, and since we are created to love God as the first principle of all love, how comes it that we can make ourself the object of our love? and even the first object of our love. How can that which is so barren be made the fertile object of affection? On what does self-love feed herself? Where does she obtain the fuel for the fire of that overmastering self-delight that darkens or extinguishes every nobler love? If we cannot live on self, how do we contrive to live on self-love? It must have a great deal of nourishment, because from the growth and ferment of self-love come the seven deadly sins, 
with their several broods of vices and vanities. To live upon one's naked natural self would be like feeding the body with its own substance, or like increasing the flame of life without air or fuel, or like filling the cup with its own emptiness. To bend back our affections directly upon ourself would be to meet our conscience on the way, and so reveal the whole imposture. To understand on what our self-love acts, and from what it obtains nourishment, is one of the greatest secrets of self-knowledge, the possession of which is the key of self-control. Love is the life of the will, or as St. Bonaventure puts it, love is the force of the will uniting itself to some beloved object, or as St. Augustine puts it, love is a certain life that unites or desires to unite two things together that which loves and that which is beloved this explanation of the nature of love is simple and complete the will is the subject in which we love that which the will loves is the object of its love but if love be the union of two things that which loves and that which is beloved where is that object to be loved when we love ourself how can self be at once the subject loving and the object that is loved for love requires an object different from ourself to which we desire to unite ourself as saint augustine observes love attracts us to the object that we love and draws us with affection towards that beloved object but how can self be drawn and attracted towards self self and self are not two things not even two terms but only one how then can self desire self or be drawn to self or be united to self as if it were not the very same but another the explanation of this mystery of our nature as i have said is the great key to self-knowledge self-love as we have repeatedly observed is not directly exercised upon self it works in roundabout ways and by the reflection of one's self in many things that are distinct from us we associate many persons and things with ourselves and appropriate their qualities and virtues by a process of imagination as though their properties were our own after once appropriating these desirable properties qualities or virtues we clothe them with our affections and losing the just distinction between them and what is our own we make these good things to be component parts of ourself self-love is sensitive subtle secret and circuitous in her ways her delicacy lies chiefly in dissembling her selfish motives and in wearing the appearance of good intentions whilst her appetite is large gross and voracious she is like a net with innumerable meshes 
handled by self-complacency and self-esteem that catches up and brings home to her the gifts of god the goods of his providence the virtues and good qualities of them that are better than herself and whatever good things she comes in contact with for this net is the triple concupiscence of the eyes the flesh and the pride of life what her self-complacency and esteem take hold of she builds into her imagination and stores into her memory there prides herself upon them and displays them as her property she cloaks herself in fact with a thousand good things that when the truth is sifted and justice done will be found to belong to her imagination rather than to herself it is in the imagination therefore that self-love forms that fictitious and objective image of herself framed from so many borrowings which she loves and worships for her veritable self but when by the grace of god we come to his light that reveals all things and when we exercise that truthful justice upon ourselves that we call humility and give to all what injustice is their due to god what is due to god to every creature what is due to that creature and to ourself what is due to us we shall find ourselves stripped of much that our self-love and our vanity have appropriated and reduced to our native poverty which god alone can enrich with his truth and good whenever he finds us sufficiently humble and sincere to ascribe his gifts to him and not to ourselves the full capacity of the soul for greatness can only be opened by the grace and love of god the great appetite for universal good that moves in the depths of the soul and of which self-love is the corruption can only be satisfied and contented by god he alone can open out this vast capacity and fill this immeasurable appetite for good when the love of god is predominant in the will it embraces all other loves within the love of god which have their pure and beautiful order and noble generosity within this love and from this love but when we make ourself the centre of our love and the point of attraction the very capacity of the soul for pure love is contracted shrunk up and corrupted with vanity and pride nothing is so narrow nothing is so ungenerous as self-love except the pride that grows out of self-love the help the kindness the affection even the polite flattery of our friends become so many mirrors in which self-love contemplates herself with conceit and swells herself with importance our temporal and social surroundings if they have any show in them pass through the reflection of self-love into self-consciousness as though they were of the substance of the man 
and were not those external things that are common to a circle of humanity the family the social circle the corporation the order the profession to which a man belongs with all its ancestry excellence and reputation elates the individual member with a corporate pride as though it were his own particular and personal glory and yet his own contribution to the corporate credit may be small even to invisibility or nothing to boast of again whatever knowledge instruction information or example the self-loving man obtains from his fellow-men he will lay an original claim to it as though it were the product of his own mind and the flow of his own fountain behold i am against the prophets saith the lord who steal my words each from his neighbour in short self-love is the unrighteous steward the things his master has entrusted to him he makes his own and forgets his master's rights in them closing one ear to the voice of conscience and the other to the voice of faith and casting his eyes down that he may not see god with the secret and serpentine embraces of his covetousness he draws all things from god to himself and closes the account with the net of the three concupiscences self-love draws her materials from every one's grounds with which to build that idol of the imagination the fictitious object of her love and admiration even the virtues the charities and commendable manners that are seen or read of in the choice portions of humanity however far from her life and character self-love can find herself invested with and make her own these are her paintings and cosmetics that deform instead of beautifying and make her a spectacle of conceit to god to angels and to men fictions of life like these made the prophet exclaim in his excess that is when rapt from himself he saw the truth in god that every man is a liar he makes himself a falsehood with the fictions of self-love and this falsehood is the contradiction of justice but the humble man who sees himself in god's light who knows what he is by nature and what as the receiver of god's gifts who gives to god what is due to god to every creature what is due to that creature and to himself what is due to himself and who is filled with gratitude to god only equalled by his lowly estimation of himself is that just and sincere man so often commended in the scriptures end of lecture five part three